Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We are rediscovering the Jewish roots uh, of our Christian faith. Amen. How many of you know Christianity originally was Jewish? And that's okay. Because it's all about God. It's all about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And when we bring the power of the wisdom of God from the Old Testament and join it together with the revelation that Jesus is Lord, it's like Brandon Reed's uh, late great father, Larry Reed, uh, would always say, you can't lose with the stuff we use. So today uh, in Torah study, and and by the way, uh, we want to welcome our Zoom audience, our Zoom family. Gerald, are we rolling on Zoom? Yep, amen. Uh, And usually each week, the the church down in Blanco, Texas, joins us live on Zoom and puts it up on the big screen. Anybody from Blanco Zooming today, Gerald? Yep. So there could be... Uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, it sounds like the Red Baron. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more. Revivals happening in the Metroplex, in Blanco, in Texas, in America. And uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. How about you? So today is a double portion of study in uh, Leviticus. Uh, We're not teaching on root canals when we study Leviticus. Uh, We're actually teaching on divine principles that are hidden in the Word of God. Uh, The religious traditions of men want to discount certain aspects of the Old Testament as non-essential. But when did the wisdom of God become non-essential? In fact, in these last days, when the Antichrist crowd is on the move, we need the wisdom of God, the guidance of God, the direction of God more than ever. And so, uh, we, we want to delve into this study. It's uh, out of Leviticus 16 through uh, 20. Uh, But uh, let me preface this by saying that right now on God's divine calendar, we're in the midst of a special 50-day spiritual journey. And it takes place every year between Passover and Pentecost. Many of you know this. It's It's a spiritual timeline, a biblical timeline that the Lord officially established in Leviticus 23. And uh, the official uh, word that God gave it, the name God put on it uh, way back when, is called counting the Omer. And it's based on the time between Israel coming out of Egypt at Passover And then 50 days later, receiving the revelation of the Bible at Mount Sinai. Uh, And this 50 days is a journey that symbolizes the transformation 
that the Lord wants to take place in each of us. Amen. When we get saved, that's only the beginning. That's not the end. The altar call, which is symbolic of Passover, is not the final experience God has for us. It's the first experience. Fifty days later, there's a new experience. An outpouring of revelation of the Word of God. Jesus said in John 8, If you continue in my word, Then you will be my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth you know will set you free. More word equals more power. More word equals more anointing. The more we immerse ourselves and baptize ourselves in the word of God, the more we'll experience the promises of God. Any frustration or any disappointment that we're experiencing in our lives can usually, spiritually speaking, be traced back to the fact we didn't know how to rightly apply God's Word in our lives. And so the devil took advantage of that. But how many of you know the devil is going down? He's a defeated foe. Amen? He may go about as a roaring lion, but the good news is that Jesus crushed him, pulled all his teeth out, so right now the devil is uh, technically gumming people to death. Not us here, those people out there. Not you and Blanco, but you know, wherever they're at. So ancient teaching tells us these 50 days are a time span given to Israel, and now by extension given to us, to work out our salvation. Now that we're saved, there's work to do. Amen? And a lot of that work is developing uh, God's divine nature in us. There's godly character traits that I dare say most of us never develop, uh, and there's some work that needs, some maturing that needs to happen. Now, I know some of you were walking on water from the get-go, and you kind of always have had that little halo over your head. But uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't so with me. It took me until the age 30 to wake up and realize the Lord is, uh, is the Lord and I need to serve Him. So it was like that old Pink Floyd song. Ten years had got behind me. No one told me when to run. I missed the starting gun. And now I've been playing catch-up ever since. And yeah, even though that was back in 1984, I still wake up inspired and motivated to know the Lord and the power of His resurrection to fulfill His divine calling and purpose. How many of you are still on the pathway of fulfilling God's divine purpose. Come on. And so Passover is coming out of Egypt. That's the born again experience. But Pentecost represents a new experience, God's impartation into each of us, His wisdom, His knowledge, His uh, destiny, His purpose. And uh, we, it's not just for 50 days, it's, it's a journey of a lifetime. And so, uh, look, it shouldn't be a strange thing for Christians to think we ought to mature in the things of God. Right? We start on milk, but look, if my little grandson loves still drinking milk out of a baba, 
He, he'll turn three next month. But look, if, if you've been saved for three years, it's time to get off the Baba. <laughs> right? And, and you can't do that when you're trying to minimize uh, God's work in your life. Let me, just, uh, let me just dumb it down to an hour a week. Any more than an hour a week, i got other things, I'm too busy. Well, that, that's not going to get you through. Amen. But you guys wouldn't come out this morning and be a part of this if you weren't motivated and inspired to go for God's best. Amen. So it's one thing uh, to come out of Egypt, but it's quite another thing to get Egypt to come out of us. So every year on God's calendar, we participate in this event the Bible calls Counting the Omer. And the Omer was an agricultural measurement back in biblical times, like a gallon of milk. Uh, but it points to a deeper truth, that God's concerned how we measure up to His standards. God cares about that. Uh, and and uh, He wants us to be the very best version of ourselves. And the only way we're going to be the very best version of ourselves is if we keep growing and learning and maturing in the things of God, especially in a knowledge of His Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word uh, was with God, and the Word became flesh. So a relationship with Jesus is really a relationship with the Bible. And we say this all the time, if all you got is John 3.16, that's enough to get you into heaven. It'll be by the hair of your chinny chin chin. (laughs) But uh, look, uh, there's eternal life, there's abundant life. Eternal life is in the sweet by and by, but abundant life is down on the ground while we're still around. How many of you would like a little more abundant life? Me too. I'm with you. And so God guides us towards His Word. That's where Israel was headed in the original version of this. They're headed to Mount Sinai and the giving of the Word. And it's no coincidence that in Hebrew, the word for measurement is the same word at its root as character trait. And so there God is telling us something. That measuring up, counting the omer, this uh, biblical measurement, it in part has to do with character traits. And so God's saying, look, uh, the altar call that you went through, powerful. That's enough to get you to heaven. But unless you're planning on dying at 5 o'clock, maybe you're going to live another 40, 50, 60 years. How many of you want a, a long life, an abundant life, a blessed life, an overcoming life? We need more of the Word, and that means renewing our minds to the Word. Renewing our minds to His ways so that the Lord can use that to take Egypt out of us. There's a, a, in ancient Jewish literature, uh, there's a proverb that says, if there is no character, there is no Torah. 
And that means that uh, if we don't develop uh, godly character traits in our lives, we'll lose the revelations that God gives us. We'll be so leaky as vessels of God that uh, it's always going to be two steps forward and one step back. How many of you want miracle grow on your life? No steps back. Amen. We'll keep pressing on. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 4, if you have your Bible, turn over to Ephesians 4, and in verse 22 to 24, here's a scripture that uh, uh, puts this in perspective. Paul is teaching the church at Ephesus by saying, put off the old man. Okay. Put off the old man. Amen. Be renewed. In the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man. Created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the game plan, guys and gals. That's all it is. We're working on taking off the old and putting on the new. It just could all be boiled down to that. And in this week's teaching, uh, it relates perfectly to true holiness because God uh, says to Israel he says actually to Moses speak to the whole assembly of Israel and say to them be holy because I the Lord your God am holy be ye holy like I am holy and so it's the foundation of rising to a high calling and keeping the presence of God in our lives means that we have to develop some holiness traits. Amen? Is that okay? Ushers, lock the door. If anybody gets nervous and wants to leave, don't let them leave right now. The word holy in Hebrew is kadosh. And the Bible definition of holiness means to be clean, to be pure, to be sacred, to be separate, to be set apart. In Jewish thought, the concept of holiness, and this is true in Christianity, the concept of holiness is that you and I have been saved for a special purpose. Each of you are unique and special in the eyes of God. God loves you. He cares about you. And He cares about you so much that He wants you to take off all the old attitudes, all the old way of thinking, all the old allegiances, and trade those in for some new things. Become a new person, a new creation. That's a journey. And today's teaching could really be called the journey toward holiness. We're meant to be a peculiar people, not a bunch of oddballs. But in the sense of a special people where you know that I have a special purpose. That God is fulfilling in me a special calling. And I'm willing, in order to achieve that calling, separate myself from sin. Separate myself from all those old things that I used to be involved in that were dragging me down. Isn't it funny that the devil likes to be nostalgic? 
He likes you getting about thinking about the good old times. And really, how many of the good old times uh, were near-death experiences for some of us? He doesn't remind you of how you almost died, how you ended up in jail or the hospital or how your family fell apart, that divorce, that, that uh, disappointment, all of the things that came crashing down. He just wants you to remember how happy you were when you were getting loaded. But the devil is a liar. He's the father of all lies. And God is saying, now that you're a believer, will you go on a journey as a believer and become a disciple? There's a difference between just believing. James, the, uh, uh, the apostle, said that even the devils believe, but they have the good sense to tremble. Amen. So, we're marching to the beat of a different drum. Amen? And that's okay. The world says it one way, we're doing it God's way. Peter the Apostle taught it this way. He's talking about being holy. And you can turn over there in your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. This is describing a journey, a process. You're working out your salvation. You're in the Lord's gym. So that when Jesus arrives, you get the gifts and the rewards that are being promised. Peter goes on to say, Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's Word. A life energetic, blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. The Apostle Peter. Get your minds ready for work. That's how the Jewish Bible begins this passage. Get your minds ready for work. The New Living says... Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. What we're being shown is that our journey in life requires spiritual preparation. Preparation for God's power. How many of you like the feeling that God's power is in you and flowing out of you? Amen? God has a purpose for you. God's prosperity wants to cover your life. God has a plan for you. And so prepare your mind. Exercise self-control. Put yourself to work in the things of God so you'll be ready when Jesus comes. Amen? And 
here's some times where the rubber meets the road, and look, I know there's a grace side of this, uh, but grace isn't an opt-out card for hard work. Okay, because of God's amazing grace, it doesn't mean you don't have anything to do or there's no hard work involved. It takes work. It takes the hard work of thinking. Renewing your mind is hard work because you're coming against competing attitudes and thoughts that are trying to keep you hooked to the past. The devil wants to keep you hooked to the past. And when God's Word comes into our minds, into our hearts, all of a sudden there's spiritual warfare going on. That's why the late great Zig Ziglar always used to say, we all have stinking thinking, and we all need a checkup from the neck up. Joyce Meyer wrote the book, The Battlefield of the Mind. We got saved in the church in Seattle, and the keynote uh, passage uh, that ministry was founded on is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the hard work. Amen? It's developing spiritual vision. It's developing spiritual wants and needs. It's developing a prosperous soul. It's upgrading our mind. Let's upgrade our minds. Have you noticed how the world system is hurting our kids? The last couple years they say that intellect and education has has decreased and declined so much. It's like children have missed two years of learning. Wonder who's behind that one. If you learn more, you earn more. Spiritually, financially, physically, in your health, in your marriage, in your relationships, whatever. God is saying, let's upgrade our minds. Let's upgrade our emotions. Look, we, we all have had things that have caused pain and suffering. And, and the devil will use that kind of stuff to trigger emotional meltdowns. Blowing a, the, uh, blowing a gasket. God wants those emotional meltdowns and those blowing of the gaskets to decline in our lives and let the peace of God that passes all understanding be the thing that rules and reigns. That's what we're shooting for. That's our spiritual vision. We might not always hit the mark, but that's our heart. And if we blow it, God, forgive me for blowing it. Honey, forgive me for blowing it. Let's get back and uh, try it again. How many times? Seven times 70. I was uh, reading one of my devotionals from uh, Pastor Rick Renner. Has anybody ever seen Rick Renner on TV? Great teacher. He wrote a devotional. It's as big and thick as an encyclopedia uh, called Sparkling Gems. And I was on his website yesterday and realized he's got Sparkling Gems Part 2. So i got to send for that. Uh, But uh, 
I like to refer to that because he just like a great, great uh, teacher. He, he uh, was teaching that one of the great keys to winning every battle against the devil uh, is to keep your mind dominated by the Word of God. And as you do that, uh, it's you're keeping not only the devil, you're keeping yourself and your flesh under the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if you want to block the majority of the enemy's attacks, it begins in the mind. The late, great Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, said, everything's created twice. First in your mind, and then in the physical world. If you believe it, if you can see it in your heart, and we're talking about God's Word, God's promises, if you can see those and they become more powerful than all the natural circumstances, you're on your way to winning every battle. That, that's true for your finances, your career. It's true for your health. Medical research shows that uh, as a man or a woman thinks in their hearts about their health and about their condition and disposition, so it manifests into real life. And he says, Pastor Renner, this is why Peter urges us to gird up the loins of our mind. He, he says that when you go back and study this out, gird up the loins uh, is the phrase uh, used in ancient times to depict a runner in a race. And to run freely and without hindrance, uh, this runner would reach down and gather the ends of his garments and stick them in his belt. That way he could run with all, without getting all tangled up. How many Christians are trying to run the race, but they keep getting tangled up into all the sin that so easily besets them? Lay aside all of that. That's what's weighing you down. It's not God's commandments, God's way of life that's weighing you down. It's all the sin that's trying to get in to ruin your destiny that's weighing you down. Pastor Renner says, if you want to lose a race, get all tangled up in all of that worldly, fleshly, sinful stuff. Peter, though, he's not talking about a garment. He's talking about our mind. He's talking about our emotions, our attitudes, the way we think, the way we size up life and size things up. Examine that. And make sure that the attitudes and the way you make your decisions don't always go back to a, a process that you learn serving the devil. Give us some understanding on that, Holy Ghost. Open our eyes, open our ears so that we can see. It's, it's not that God wants to point that out in our lives to condemn us. I didn't come into the world to condemn you. I came so you could be free. But you can't be free when the devil's always got his talons in another aspect of your life. What is that, Lord? 
I, I pray that even now, today, you'll be here, you'll be in praise and worship, you'll be worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost will drop in a golden nugget. Ah, that's what's hanging me up. And then you go to work on it. Yeah, it might not happen by the end of the day, but now I'm aware, I'm aware of the wiles of the devil. So this is how he's been using things against me. That's called tying up the loose ends. And a lot of the loose ends are in our thoughts. It's in our attitudes. So God says, grab hold of every thought. Anything that's exalting itself, anything that's trying to put itself above the Word of God, is a vain imagination. And has to be pulled down. Pull down those strongholds. Pull down the the mindset of the devil. Become God inside minded. Amen? And this is what it means to gird up the loins of your mind. Amen? Okay, that sounds real exciting, doesn't it? (laughs) All right. We're on a journey, a journey towards holiness. It doesn't mean that we're sanctimonious. It doesn't mean we're self-righteous, that we put out these super spiritual airs like, uh, man, I'm holy and you ain't quite there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, I am a peculiar person with a special calling, and I'm not going to ruin my life and my calling on a fling with the world. Oh, help me now. Come on. Here's an amazing description of the journey to holiness in Colossians 1. Go with me to Colossians 1. The, uh, The Torah study begins with, Be ye holy as I am holy. I am the Lord your God. Well, that's all Old Testament. No, Peter uses the same scripture to do this teaching we just went through. And now Paul comes to the church uh, uh, and speaks to the Colossians and says in verse 9, Colossians 1.9, Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you. Oh, the power of prayer. And what, what's Paul praying for? They're asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to His will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. This is is spiritual warfare. Because there's a way you want it to be, and there's a way God wants it to be. And there's usually a gap. And, and the fight of faith is trying to close the gap. So I'm doing more things God's way and less things the world's way. Paul goes on to pray uh, that uh, you'll live well for the Master. Making Him proud of you as you work hard in His orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. See, and this goes contrary to the the grace message that's out there right now in many circles. There's nothing you have to do. I beg your pardon? 
There's nothing you have to do to make heaven your home, but you're living off of John 3.16. What do you do with Colossians 1 or 1 Peter 1? What do you do with, okay, bring out the whiteout, folks. Ushers, bring forward the white. White out any scripture you personally don't like. Just wipe that right out of your Bible. (laughs) No, you can't do that. Amen? We pray that you will have strength to stick it out. Oh, come on, somebody. We'll have strength to stick it out over the long haul. Amen? This is a marathon. It's a journey. Amen? And uh, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth. You know what? You've got to be white to know what a white knuckle session is. <laughs> Hang on, honey. <laughs> I'm agonizing in my mind. But the glory strength that God gives. There's a way to go through the journey with a smile on your face. Even when you're going through some disappointments and some challenges, there's a way where we can live out the Scripture. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you fall into a situation. Because God will use that situation to perfect something in you. Amen? And it goes on from there. We've we got to keep moving here. Here's how all of that, this journey from Passover to Pentecost, this journey towards holiness, uh, here's how it all ties into the Torah study out of Leviticus 16 to 20, is that when God calls Israel to holiness... He immediately follows this call, be ye holy, with a series of moral and ethical guidelines. And it's God showing us that holiness, like love, is a verb. It's an action word. It relates to doing certain things and sometimes not doing certain things. So God provides a list of things He prefers done His way. And they're guidelines. They're divine principles. Uh, And they include respecting our parents. The giving of steadkah, charity to the poor. Being honest in business. Observing the Sabbath. Forbidding involvement with the occult. Forbidding revenge. Forbidding certain sexual relationships. And a host of other practical measures that are connected to being holy. Many of the great sages in Judaism teach that this section of Torah uh, is an embellishment of the Ten Commandments. Uh, The Ten Commandments can be seen as the basics. These are the big ten. And these, if you don't have anything else, here's the code of conduct for Judeo-Christians, the Ten Commandments. And uh, a lot of times people get nervous about that because there's teaching in Christianity. Well, we, we don't need to follow the Ten Commandments. They're too hard. Loving God is not too hard. Not being a thief is not too hard. Stop gossiping is not too hard. Right? 
and all these different things, they're not that hard, right? We work at that. And look, if we, if we stumble and blow it here or there, it's okay. God, forgive me. I did not know what I was doing. McFly, I didn't know. And you get back up and get back in the race. But here's here's the thing that I always find fascinating. Read in the book of Matthew, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And six different times, you learn from Moses that you shouldn't commit adultery would be one of the six. But I say, and Jesus then extends the commandment to mean even something more strict. Even if you commit adultery in your heart, you need forgiveness. So the idea that somehow Jesus gives us a free pass and however we want to live and do whatever we want to do. No, go to the Sermon on the Mount. He takes things to a new level and talks about the condition of our heart. And a lot of that is the condition of our mind. The way we think. The way we feel about things. It can't just be if it feels good, do it. Contrary to popular opinion in our culture today. Here's the cool thing about America. You know, there's only been two countries in the history of civilization that have been formed as one nation under God. Israel and America. Israel and America. So the founding fathers understood the importance of the Word of God and they built God's Word into every part of American life. And since that time, secular humanists, the Antichrist crowd, have been working, 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 sometimes behind the scenes, lately out in plain view, to dismantle one nation under God and turn it into one nation under government. Government will be your God. And I'm saying, and I know you're saying with me, no, 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 no. I don't serve Jehovah government. I serve Jehovah God. He is my God, my Redeemer, my Savior. He is uh, 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 my eternal Father, a gracious God. And He is going to lead and guide me. And through He and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to serve the Lord no matter what government says. How many of you believe today church is still essential? You wouldn't get that idea listening to the people in Washington. So holiness, living holy, is a way of life that separates us from the world. Separates us from the sin. And it draws us into a closer relationship with the Lord. And look, that leads to a better life. Amen? In reality, being spiritual and being holy doesn't mean being self-righteous. It just comes down to living the way God said to live. And it's important that I say, because sometimes people misunderstand, well, I didn't think we had to follow God's laws now that Jesus came. I'm not sure uh, where that theology got started, but it's a bad theology. We don't obey the laws of God to become citizens of heaven. 
that is to earn our salvation. We we obey God's laws to become better citizens. Amen? And so, look, it's no small task to work out your salvation because the flesh doesn't want to be bothered. That's why Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. Right now we're on a journey, a 50-day journey that's leading us into Pentecost. Pentecost is not only the giving of the Word at Mount Sinai, 1,500 years later on the very same day, in Hebrew it's Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, God uh, on Pentecost gave the Holy Spirit. The teacher of the church who will show you things to come. He'll give you wisdom. He'll counsel you. He'll intercede for you. He'll be your strengthener, your advocate, your intercessor. That's the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a victorious Christian life. But be forewarned, there's effort involved. The E word, effort. Yeah, there's effort. It took effort to get up early today and come. God bless you for that. It takes effort to open your Bible. It takes effort to to set aside time to pray and study. But that's how we become transformed. Amen? There's 168 hours in the week. If all we do is devote one hour a week to the Lord... That's 167 to 1. And uh, in basketball terms, that's a blowout. That's a massacre. Why are people getting massacred? Because it's 167 to 1. No, I did it two hours. Well, 166 to 2 ain't much better. How many of you have surrendered your life to the Lord? How many of you live by the ideal, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me? How many of you are praying every day, Lord, anoint me with the Holy Ghost and power. Give me the power to overcome sin, to overcome temptation, to overcome the works of the devil, to live a victorious life, to love my uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to to be patient and loving and kind with my family, and on and on and on. In this teaching, the greatest of all commandments comes up in Leviticus 19.17. And it says, don't bear a grudge against one another, but settle your differences with them, so that you will not commit a sin because of it. Do not take revenge on others or continue to hate them, but love your neighbors as yourself. I am the Lord. This is part of holiness. The great rabbis through all the ages, including Rabbi Jesus, have taught that this is the very essence of the Torah. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means in this room we're neighbors. Amen? Doesn't matter what background, uh, male or female, white or black or Asian or some other. It, it, we're part of one body. The body of Christ. One spirit. We're baptized. And we're all Christians. If anything, we're a Christian nation. The biggest thing that ought to unite us is above all things, we're a Christian nation. 
Amen. And for both Christians and Jews, loving God, loving people, it's the foundation of everything we believe. It's summed up in the golden rule. Don't do, uh, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. How many of you like to be blessed? Then be a blessing. How many of you like good words, kind words spoken over your life? Then speak that over someone else's life. And it's telling us everything that we're doing is, is based on more of our deeds. There's more value to what you're doing than what you're believing. In Judaism, it's called deed over creed. It reminds me of the story of an eminent psychiatrist who was walking down the street and he came across a man lying unconscious on the ground. He had just been attacked, just been beaten, just been robbed. He was semi-conscious and bleeding profusely. And after uh, carefully examining him, the psychiatrist exclaimed uh, to the crowd of people that gathered around, he said, My God! Whoever did this really needs help. Kind of missed the point. (laughs) The guy needs help. There's a world out there that needs our help. And yeah, they need theology and they need doctrine and they need prayer and they need a scripture. But they might also need physical help. And it's our job to learn to become doing people instead of just hearing people. This is what makes us a holy people. Uh, Because we're girding up the loins of our mind. And we're thinking things through and realizing it's not just what I believe that counts. It's what I do. I will show you my faith by my works, James said. And that's how we become the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So going back to Leviticus, in Leviticus 19 and 20, honor your parents. Keep the Sabbath. Don't worship idols. Don't start illicit and immoral relations. Give to the poor. Don't steal or cheat. Pay workers on time. Don't curse the deaf or trip the blind. Judge righteously. Don't gossip. Save lives. Don't take revenge or bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Torah study. And that's what follows be holy as I am holy. And so we integrate these things into our daily lives. And as we do... We become stronger, our light becomes stronger, our influence becomes stronger, the blessing of God becomes much stronger in our lives, and we're paving the way. How many of you have family members that are counting on you for whatever? They're counting on me now to pave the way in prayer, to pave the way with wisdom, with counsel, with good ideas, with a lifestyle that isn't always broke, busted, and disgusted. Amen? Amen. Father, we just give you thanks and praise that you have us on a pathway to victory, a pathway to holiness, 
a pathway, Lord, that is pleasing to you. Help us to gird up the loins of our mind. Renew us. Refresh us. Give us new vision, new wisdom, new power to live out this Christian life. And we give you all the thanks and praise for it. In the name of Yeshua, amen and amen. Well, give the Lord a big, big hand clap of praise. God love you. God bless you. Have a great day.